Welcome to Audiobook Test Drive. In today's episode, we are featuring an excerpt from Savage Rebel, written by Robert J. Hogan. Hanging fever with Smokewade's neck slated for the noose. Dakota Territory, 1885. A violent band of Civil War veterans who roamed the Badlands were roused from their restless inertia by the murder of the colonel they idolized. The town simmered, hatreds flared up anew, and every stranger became suspect. Since Smoke Wade was a stranger, when he stepped out of the hotel, a dozen tough and sullen men were waiting for him. They followed him down the dusty street like a pack of hungry dogs stalking a young deer. Someone in their midst spoke the word murderer. The word became a chant, a chant that seemed to sweep through the town. Hanging fever had come to the Dakota Territory. Before long, Smoke Wade paced a jail cell, listening to the angry rumbling of the mob outside. He had suspected it before, but now he was sure. Someone was heating up that mob, trying to make sure he didn't leave his cell alive. He remembered how he had ridden into this boom town, a stranger with an itch to follow the wild wind, a simple cowboy with too much nerve and a ready gun. He had tried to help a man in a fight, and the next thing he knew he was in a cell with a hangman's noose awaiting him. Why? For the murder of a man he had never even heard of, a murder that had occurred two days before Smokewade had come to town. As he listened to the bloodthirsty cries outside, his anger grew. He vowed to get out of there, clear his name, and pin the guilt where it belonged. Up to then, there had never been a horse Smoke Wade couldn't ride or a man he couldn't lick. But this time, he'd have to fight a whole damn town. He was a rough-and-tumble cowpoke who never came across a fight or a bet he was afraid to take on, and was thought by most to be just another pistolero for hire. But he always seemed to be on the side of justice when the powder smoke settled. And now for your listening pleasure, an excerpt from Savage Rebel. Chapter 1 When he heard the call for help from behind the row of saloons on Fort Street, Smoke Wade was already fighting mad. He strode through the crowd, tall and powerful, boiling inside at himself for getting pocketed in a three-against-one racehorse rummy game. It was celebration time in town, and the headgear of many visitors told what they were. He saw cavalry-type hats on convention veterans and the tall straw hats of farmers from the eastern section of the territory. There were big Stetsons, almost as large as his own worn by cattlemen from their ranches to the west of Town, and he saw deadwood miners' caps from still farther west. He wondered if none of these reveling pleasure-seekers heard the call for help, or if they just didn't give a damn. It came again, more clearly, this time in a scream of panic. The sound switched Wade's course sharply, like a turning ship's rudder, and sent him running down the next alley. There was only a streak of window light to give illumination in the backyard but he could see well enough to tell the two men about his size were beating a little fella, kicking and pounding him as he went down. Wade leaped on the back of the bigger of the two attackers, caught hold of his neck under his beard, and yanked him backward. The other attacker was slight in build, but still a good-sized man. He turned on Wade, and both hands flashed to his guns. 
From his right-hand holster, Wade's gun swung in a sharp arc to the man's head. There was a sound of metal striking bone, and the second attacker went down. The bearded man let out a yell and charged from behind. Wade swung on him. His left fist connected on the bearded jaw, and the man staggered back. Someone bellowed from the rear of the nearest saloon. He said, Get in here, you two crazy fools. It's almost time. The two picked themselves up and ran. Wade turned to the little man on the ground and helped him to his feet. He had a body almost the size of an ordinary man, but when it came to legs, he seemed to have been cheated. Once on his feet, he started after the other two, waddling on his short legs. Wade caught him. He said, Hold on. I got a right to know what's going on here, since I threw in with you in this trouble. There ain't much to tell, the little man said. You heard that stuffed vest, didn't you? There ain't much time for them either. Besides, I got to get medicine for my baby-having wife and get back home. On top of that, my pal Bullwhacker is walking into trouble he don't know about, and I got to tell him. Who's this pal? Jake Moran. Us? We're Bullwhackers from Fred Ammon's Transport Company? Freight training between here and Deadwood. Me? I'm Duck Leg Luther. I got to tell Jake. I'll tell Jake, Wade said. You get your wife's medicine and go back to her. The stubby man looked at him gratefully. Hey, you're all right. What's your name? Wade. Smoke Wade. You're the stranger that done trick riding down by the pens this afternoon, ain't you? That's right. What's this trouble Jake's in? At a waddling gate, Duckleg headed up the back alley. I'll get my wife's medicine and head home if you'll tell Jake what I overheard. I'll tell him. They came out on Fort Street and hurried up toward a drugstore. There was a giant blast in the middle of the street, and the crowd hurrahed. Damn it, Duckleg said, shaking his shaggy red head. I've been hoping this kid would be born on the 4th of July, but the day's mighty near over. I come down for some medicine to hurry her along and stop for a drink, and that's where I overheard about Jake and the fight he's in tonight. I heard there was going to be a fight tonight, Wade said. Where is it? Down at the carnival on the flats, Duckleg said. Jake Moran's fighting a carnival tough for prize money. And I overheard they're going to fix Jake so he can't win. Who'll fix him? Them men that was beating me. I let on, I heard, and they got me outside and was going to make sure I didn't tell. He paused before the drugstore. The lights from inside shone through the glass urns with the red and green liquids and colored the window. From the open door came the smells of sassafras and arnica. You get to the fight, you hear? And tell Jake Moran to watch out. You'll know him for his straw hair and his ugly looks. Ain't really ugly, though. Jake's the gentlest-natured grizzly cub that ever cracked a pepper over a bull train. Now get over and tell him. Tell him Duckleg sent you. I'll tell him, Wade said. He headed down towards the river flats where the tent show is set up. And remember, Duckleg called after him. It ain't just a little old crooked fight you're getting mixed up in. This here's just a sideline and a whole crooked deal you'll learn about when you get in it. I'll remember, Wade said. He strode down towards the torch-lit carnival area, remembering other troubles he barged into when he would have saved himself pain by staying out. He considered the financial licking he had just taken. That seemed enough trouble for one night. He almost turned back at the next corner, but then there was the fight to lead him on. And there was Duck Leg Luther a man who had tackled two men twice his size for a pal. He hurried on and pushed into the crowd about the fight ring. It was the night of July 4th, 
1885, and the Grand Army of the Republic had been holding its convention in Pierre. In the light of the flaming torches rising out of the four-corner posts of the squared ring, it seemed that every Civil War veteran in Dakota Territory was there to watch the fight. The sign on the side of the tent show fight ring said, Stay three rounds with Killer Carnes. Win $200. Jake Moran, the straw-headed bullwhacker in the ring, seemed to be more than holding his own. Wade looked over the crowd. As far as he could see, there was only one woman there. She stood next to him and held a dark-eyed boy of about seven years on her shoulders so he could watch the fighters. The boy kept yelling, Hit him, Jake! as if it was the most vital thing in his life. The woman was youthfully slim and regally straight and proud. The blackness of her hair and eyes stood out against her fair skin as strikingly beautiful as the dark timbers of the black hills on snow. She tried to quiet the boy by saying, Hush! But Mom, Jake's gotta win! He promised he'd win the money! If he doesn't, what do we... Hush, I say! She glanced about, fearful that someone had noticed the boy's words. Her dark eyes focused on Wade and his red-checked shirt and lingered a moment to measure his more than six feet of height and breadth of his wide shoulders. The leather of Wade's long, bronze face crinkled a slow grin at the boy. He said, I sure aim to see that strawhead Jake win the money for you, son. He's doing mighty fine so far. The timekeeper rang the bell for the end of the second round, and the yelling crowd quieted. Down the line of carnival tents, a bellowing pitchman announced the minstrel show. Back toward town at the edge of the crowd, a lusty-voiced auctioneer extolled the high merit of fine business sites that the Dakota Company had for sale in the land-crazy mushrooming city. The woman put down the boy and straightened painfully. Can you hold me up for one last round, Mom? The boy asked. I'll hold you on my shoulder, son, Wade said. How'll that be? The boy looked up at Wade's long legs and said, That'll be good, mister. That'll be really high. Up you come, Wade said, and perched the boy on his shoulder. So far, the fighter the boy called Jake had been winning. He was a powerful man with a small, ugly head on a thick neck. His hair was a tangle of yellow wheat straw, which he kept pushing back out of his eyes with his left glove. Wade glanced up at the boy on his shoulders to see if there could be any resemblance and decided there could be none. The boy was like his mother, with delicate features and black hair. His big black eyes were so sharp and alert that they seemed to snap like small lightning flashes every time he shifted his glance. Wade looked back at the challenging fighter. He almost laughed now at the thought of Jake and the boy being related. Jake's eyes were small, like the eyes of an ox. His cheekbone stuck out harshly, his nose was flat, and he had a mouth that was just a big scarred gash. He sat easily on a small bench in the corner while a skinny little man with a cock derby listlessly slatted a dirty gunny sack in his face to cool him. Killer Carnes had almost been floored twice up to now, and it was to be expected that there'd be a great activity in his corner. While two carnival seconds worked over him, a third man entered his corner. A big man dressed in black, wearing low-cut sideburns. Mom? the boy said, leaning off Wade's shoulder. Mom! What's Mr. Hackett doing with that other fighter? I don't know, the woman said, and raised on her toes so that she might see. The seconds and Hackett were clustered about Carnes as tight as cattle in a shipping pen. Who's this Mr. Hackett? Wade asked. 
He thought the man resembled the one who had called from the back of the Ford Street Saloon a few minutes ago, but the light had been very poor back there. The boy looked down at Wade in surprise. Don't you know Mr. Hackett? Everybody knows who Mr. Hackett is. He's the man that's trying to take our ranch away from us. Ashley Runyon, the woman said low. Hush. Mom, the boy said. You promised you'd call me Popper like Jake calls me. I'll call you Popper, Wade said. What about Mr. Hackett? Well, my father said, Hush, Mrs. Runyon repeated, and this time there was purple fire in her black eyes. The tone of her voice made him turn his head quickly. He had a rectangular face with a rock-solid square jaw for its foundation. His cold steel eyes had a momentary perplexed glint as he tried to decide whether the young woman's sharp words to her son came from an inherent bad temper or desperation. It was desperation, he decided, for already her expression had softened. A tall, heavy man, wearing a cavalry hat and a G.A.R. veteran's badge, stood next to Wade. He asked, Aren't they taking a long time between rounds? Seems like it to me, Wade said. He raised his voice. Let him fight. Then, remembering Duck Leg Luther's instructions, he called, You, Jake Moran, watch out for trouble. He eyed the group around the other fighter's corner. Hackett was glaring out over the crowd at Wade. Now Hackett turned and nodded to the timekeeper, and the bell for the third round sounded. That's more like it, the G.A.R. man said as the fighters came out. He turned to Wade. That strawhead nearly had Carnes down twice in the second round. Moran's sure been doing good so far, Wade said. He felt foolish yelling Duckleg's message to Moran. The big blonde bullwhacker could take care of himself. Give it to him, Moran, the G.A.R. veteran shouted. Wade glanced at the man's convention badge. It announced that his name was Parker and that he was commander of the G.A.R. post at Vermilion. Parker moved away for a better view. The fight had become a furious affair, with Carnes taking on new life. The boy on Wade's shoulders flinched every time Carnes landed a blow on Jake's face. Carnes was doing everything now with his right fist. Each time Jake was hit with that right, he staggered as if he had been sledged. Killer Carnes followed his advantage, and the big, ugly challenger's face became bruised and bloody. The crowd was yelling for Carnes to kill the challenger, and the yelling rose to a steady roar of savage demands. The thunderous cry for blood echoed across the flat and bounded up Whiskey Gulch to the north, rattling there behind the Missouri River bluffs. Wade heard Mrs. Runyon cry out, Mr. Moran! Mr. Moran! Popper was screaming, Jake! Jake! Hit him back! Hit him! It was too late now for Wade to repeat Luther's warning. Jake Moran was staggering. He made an effort to push his long blonde hair out of his eyes with his left glove. Karn's right fist slammed in again. It seemed not a terrific blow, but as it landed, blood spattered from Jake's face. Blind for a moment, Jake groped with his arms outstretched, then fell forward and lay sprawled in the ring. Mrs. Runyon stared up at her son, then it weighed. She said, What happened? What do you think happened? There was a puzzled panic in her voice. The boy choked up and couldn't speak. Wade lifted him gently off his shoulder and put him down. He said, You wait here and I'll see what happened. He pushed through the crowd as Jake Moran was counted out. Still down, Moran moved one arm, tried to rise, but fell back and lay still. Reaching the edge of the ring, Wade leaped to the aprons. 
I aim to have a look at those fight gloves you're wearing, Carnes, Wade called. The skinny little man who served Moran as second faced Wade across the ropes. He yelled, Hi, Rube, and slammed his derby down on his round head where it would stay in the coming trouble. Hey, Rube, he repeated. Farmer's coming. Wade reached over the top rope and grabbed the man. Who's a farmer, he said. He turned and lifted the carnival tuff over his head. He called, Catch! and tossed him into the crowd. He dived through the ropes and ran across the ring to Carnes' corner. The carnival fighter had his back to him and was holding out his right glove to the seconds. I'll look at that, he said, and catching Carnes' shoulder, spun him around. Carnes came about throwing that right fist, but he stopped the blow and drew up suddenly like a startled bronc. He's got a gun in my belly, Carnes said. Gotta see that right glove, Wade said. Seems it was doing too much damage for something that was supposed to be padded. He held his left-hand gun in the bare middle of the fighter. What's going on? The man in black yelled. Hackett tore up on the edge of the ring and came through the ropes. Don't do nothing to make him nervous, mister, the carnival fighter said. Can't you see the gun in my belly? Wade had the fingers of his right hand in the freshly cut slit in Karn's right glove leather. He ripped and the leather gave grudgingly. He tore it back farther, and his hand closed over a wad of heavy iron-traced chain in the glove padding. You don't take chances losing that $200, do you, Carnes? Carnes had grown as pale as a dirty white mule. He said, It wasn't my idea. The man in black there, he... Carnes shifted his eyes to Hackett. Who's your boss that pays the $200 if you lose? Hackett crowded in beside him. He said, What's this beanpole think he is? A lawman? Off along the river flat, a rocket exploded, and the men who had been watching the fight moved toward the fireworks display. Karn shook his dark head at the man named Hackett. He said, I asked you again not to nerve him up, mister, while the gun's in my gut. He looked at Smoke Wade again. Ain't you the one that rode a bucking horse down by the yards today and rolled a cigarette one hand at the same time? Wade nodded. A giant firecracker went off on the other side of the ring, and a man yelled, Hurrah for the glorious Fourth of July! I asked you, Wade said, nuzzling Karn's belly with his gun. Where's your boss that pays off? Quit stalling. As he talked, he shook the water chain so he could hold it up and show it to what was left of the crowd. Hackett stayed close to him, shooting the chain from view. He said, Forget it, friend and I'll make it worth your bother. It's no bother, Wade said. I like it this way. He half turned and raised the chain so that all might see. There was a sudden stir behind him. Popper's shrill voice cried out in warning. Wade tried to guard himself. He ducked, and the first blow from behind glanced off his skull. But another came and did not glance off. He was falling and being clubbed as he went down. We hope you enjoyed listening to this excerpt from Savage Rebel. If you would like to hear the entire audiobook, it can be purchased at Amazon, Audible, and iTunes.